Thank you, Nancy and Brother Russell. Appreciate Brother Russell filling in for Rick. Rick is sick today. He texted me yesterday and told me he had contracted the stomach bug. Well, I dropped my phone and went and got hand sanitizer. <laughs> Didn't even like the thought of it, but appreciate you for helping out. Pray for Brother Rick. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. A little bit over a year ago, uh, I lose track of time, we took a walk through the minor prophets. We went through several of the minor prophets, didn't go through all of them. Uh, the ministry and message of the minor prophets pretty much overlapped each other, and we got through enough of them to realize the message was pretty much the same with these minor prophets of alerting the nation of Israel and the people of God uh, to straighten up that their nation had become uh, a nation that was unrecognizable as a nation belonging to God. And the reason the message was over and over and over again is because the people of Israel were not listening. And so God would send another prophet and another prophet. And some of these prophets ministered and had the message for Judah, which is around Jerusalem. As you remember, the nation was divided into two nations because of disobedience and Israel that was up to the north. We call these the minor prophets not because their message was any less important. A little history lesson. The reason they're called the minor prophets is because their uh, message, all 12 of them could be included on one scroll. This, this business of the minor prophets and the major prophets was centuries ago when they still had books on a scroll. And the rabbis in the synagogues would have one scroll that would contain the message of all the minor prophets. The major prophets, on the other hand, took at least one scroll, maybe more for the entire book. Isaiah is a major prophet. Isaiah is a major prophet, not only because of the length of the book, but one scholar said it this way, Isaiah could very well be said to be the theology textbook of the Bible. There's a major message in the book of Isaiah, and we'll get into it in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nursed up and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? Will you revolt more and more? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up, or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence, and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion 
is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of the prophets that still ring true today. We know you have a message for us this morning, and we ask that you would deal with each heart individually. You know what we need. So take full control of this service, and we ask that you would give us the words you want us to hear, and that you would give us listening ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. This verse tells us two things. First of all, it tells us what group of people he was addressing, and that was Judah and Jerusalem. That was what they called the southern kingdom. However, it was pretty much still the headquarters of the Hebrew nation because the temple was there. There's where people would come to worship. There's where his message was directed. And it says, he saw in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. His ministry spanned the reign of four different kings over a period of 60 years. This message spanned 60 years and four kings came and went. The years of this message span from 746 B.C. to 686 B.C. Now, as soon as I mention that date, somebody may ask the question, why then is this even relevant? Why then do we look at words that were written a half a world away and so long ago? After all, in the New Testament, what we go by don't we need just stay? Why can't we just stay in the New Testament and look at our message? And here's the reason why. We don't want to miss this. The events and the message of the New Testament only makes sense when viewed within the framework of the Old Testament. We will never fully understand the full impact of the New Testament until we understand it within the framework of the Old Testament. The gospel writers understood this. And as they begin to present the life and the message of Jesus Christ, one of the first things they did was refer back to the prophets. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 1. The very first gospel writer, the very first chapter. Matthew is introducing the world to Jesus Christ. He is talking to people who perhaps had never heard of Christ or heard a little bit of Christ. He's trying to explain who Jesus is. And so he presents the life of Christ and the message of Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. And as he talks about the birth of Christ, if you look in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. The angel is speaking to Joseph, and we read this around Christmas time. He will bring, she will bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. 
He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. To get people to understand who Jesus is, one of the first things that Matthew does is refer back to a prophet. Now, which prophet was that? Isaiah. This is in Isaiah chapter 7. Again, a little bit later on, turn to chapter 3, verse 3. We'll back up to verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. See, a lot of people knew who John the Baptist was. And John the Baptist came on the scene saying, Jesus is the Messiah. That is the Lamb of God. That is the Anointed One. The Savior of the world has come. Well, his witness was only as credible as his person. And his authority to say what he said was established when Matthew says, this is the one the prophet spoke about. There's his credentials. His credentials are mentioned in the prophets. So to understand this guy is legitimate, he's for real, so his message is for real, you go all the way back to the prophet. In the book of Luke chapter 1, he says the same thing. This is the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. That was spoken of by the prophet. That prophet was Malachi. So early on in the book of Matthew, he speaks concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ. Did you know in the book of Matthew, the word fulfilled is used 15 different times? He's talking about what was spoken of where? In the prophets. And did you know also in the book of Matthew, there's over 129 allusions, quotations, or references to the Old Testament. So in order to get people to understand this new message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew is saturated with the prophets and with the Old Testament. Look in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 22. We continue with the credentials of John the Baptist and then find an interesting passage concerning Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 22. John the Baptist is on the scene. He's creating quite a stir. He's gotten quite a few disciples and people are flocking to him from all quarters wanting to be baptized. Well, this aroused the interest of the Jewish authorities. They wanted to come check it out. All of a sudden, the spotlight turned away from them and on somebody else's preaching. So they want to know who he is. And in John chapter 1, verse 22, they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. John the Baptist refers back to the prophets. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? 
John answered them saying, I baptize with water. There stands one among you whom you do not recognize, you do not know. He who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to unloose. Who are you? He says, here's my credentials. You can read it in the book of Isaiah. Then look in verse 43 of the same chapter. Some of John's disciples are now following Jesus. John had pointed at Jesus, said, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John's disciples are now Jesus' disciples. And in verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. He said, you've got to meet him. He's the one, the coming one, the Messiah. And he said, he's the one we've heard about our whole lives. Where'd they hear about him? The prophets wrote about him. So we realize that in the book of John, John, the apostle, speaks concerning the prophets two different times, one giving John the Baptist credentials, and one when these disciples, early disciples of Jesus, wanted to understand who Jesus is, and there's Philip wanted to explain who Jesus is. What did he use? He used the voice of the prophets. Isaiah is quoted 40 times in the New Testament. If we're going to say, I want to just stay in the New Testament, you can't do it. Isaiah is all in the New Testament. And to understand the New Testament, we want to know why Isaiah is quoted 40 times in the Old Testament. Jesus emphasized himself the words of the prophets in his credentials and to explain his ministry. If you turn back to the book of Luke chapter 4, three passages in the book of Luke that we look at. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. When Jesus came on the scene, he didn't just say, You've just got to believe who I am because I say that's who I am. Jesus Christ referred back to the prophets. And he said, Here's what the prophets will say would happen. I will heal the brokenhearted. I will have recovery of sight to the blind. And 
That's exactly what he did. He fulfilled the credentials laid out in the prophets. What prophet was it? There's Isaiah again. And Jesus used Isaiah to verify he is who he claimed to be. Look over in Luke chapter 18. Verse 31. Jesus is trying to explain something to the disciples that they found impossible to accept and impossible to understand. And what he was trying to say is you will understand and this will all make sense if you remember what the prophet said. And without that, nothing makes sense. To make sense of a chaotic situation, Jesus referred him to the prophet. In Luke chapter 18, verse 31, he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. The third day he will rise again. Verse 32 and 33 absolutely made no sense to the disciples. And Jesus said, this is what the prophet said would happen. And then it says this, they understood none of the things this saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. Now I want to say this, Jesus didn't hide it from them. We might look at this and say, well, why did God hide it from them? It wasn't hidden by God. What hid these things from them? Well, if you'll remember back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tried to explain the very same thing to them. And then Peter interrupted him, pulled him off to the side. He said, no, this will never happen to you. And Jesus said, you get behind me because you're not focused on the things of God. You're focused on the things of man. And why didn't all this make sense to them? Because it was hidden because they had their own focus. And Peter's focus was on the things of man. Jesus said, you don't favor, you don't, you don't uh, love the things of God. You, you savor, you love the things of man. In other words, you've got more priorities. Their priorities were such they would not, could not listen to the prophets. But what Jesus is saying is, here's how it will make sense to you. There's going to be some things happen that you won't understand except for the fact the prophets said this would happen hundreds of years ago. Well, it happened just like Jesus was trying to explain to them. They ignored what the prophets said, and all these things happened, and they didn't have a clue. They were kneecapped. It was like a punch in the stomach. They had lost their breath. And you turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 24, you have the disciples on the Emmaus Road. All these things that happened. And the disciples were confused and astonished. And they were frantic. And they didn't know how to make sense of the things that happened. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 24, certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. 
Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, how did Jesus make sense of it all to them? He said, let's go back to the prophets and it'll all make sense. Now, Jesus could have done it any other way. But you see, God had before established these messages so these things would make sense. So he used the prophets to explain his ministry, his work, the mysteries of the death, burial, and resurrection. All of it is explained by the prophets. Jesus quoted Isaiah to explain his method of teaching. I want to look in Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. What we're establishing here is how many times the prophets, especially Isaiah, is used by the gospel writers and Jesus to explain something that people couldn't understand. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus had just spoken the parable of the soils. And in verse 10, the disciples came to him saying, Why do you speak in parables? Why are you teaching this way? Verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them is the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, that they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Why do you speak in parables? And Jesus said, because like Isaiah said, these people have grown dull of hearing. I have to speak in parables so that they'll understand what I'm saying because they can't understand it or see it or perceive it otherwise. And he refers back to Isaiah quoting him, and then we realize not only did Jesus speak in parables so that people could understand, but Isaiah began from the very first verses speaking in parables, and in the opening verses that we read, we have three of them that people could understand. In verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. The first parable is a court case. You see, God said in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 when he called the children of Israel and, and gave their, they got their attention. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today for what I'm about to tell you. That was a legal term which meant we're going to court. And court is in session. And I'm calling the witnesses. So when he said, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, the people understood what God was saying is court is in session, your own trial, and I'm calling witnesses. And you are, from this moment, subpoenaed to appear in the court of God. They understood that. That was a parable they could understood. Why? Because in that day, they referred back to the law, Deuteronomy, and also the Psalms. In chapter 50 of the book of Psalms, he'll call to heavens from the earth below above and down to the earth below that he may judge his people. He'll call to the heavens above and to the earth below that he may judge his people. They knew that. 
They knew the Bible enough from, from childhood. They knew what he was saying. So the court case was the first parable. Secondly, verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. Israel does not know my people do not consider. Domestic animals. Now, we have limited contact with domestic animals in our world today. In this part of the country, maybe more so. But when Isaiah began to talk and God began to use this parable, just about everybody had domestic animals. And every household understood the frustration of a difficult animal. Now, some of you have tried to load livestock in a trailer and they don't cooperate. Some of you and your kids are showing livestock at the fair this week and you've got your plan of where this pig needs to go. And it's always better if the pig goes according to the plan. But sometimes the pig doesn't go according to the plan. And it's very frustrating when your livestock won't cooperate. So you're trying to show the pig or the lamb or the steer, and they've got their own agenda. And you say, they just don't understand who's in charge. I'm in charge. I'm the one who nourished them. I'm the one who gives them everything. I'm the one who, who is responsible for where they are right now. They should cooperate with me. Exactly. And that's exactly what God says. And God said, you're worse than the animals. The animals may be insolent, disobedient, and they may not be cooperative, but at the end of the day, they know where to come to. And they'll come back to the crib, and they'll come back home. These people won't even come back home. They'll wander around. They don't know who their owner is. And I've given them everything. You see, they understood perfectly well that God was saying, you're worse than a disobedient, frustrated animal who won't cooperate. They knew what he was saying. In verse 8, the daughter of Zion is left as a, a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers. Now, what does this mean? So I think the King James even used the word cottage. So you're thinking of a little building with windows in it and a door and so forth, maybe vines growing up the side of it. A little cottage. Well, the word actually is a, a hut. And here's what happens. When the grapes were getting ripe in the vineyard, everything wanted grapes. All the animals wanted grapes. All of the birds wanted grapes. Sometimes people wanted your grapes. You had to hire a watchman to stay in your vineyard or your garden of cucumbers 24 hours a day to keep the critters out of your grapes whether it be the four-legged kind or the two-legged kind. Well, you couldn't ask anybody to stay out there all day long without any shade, so they'd get whatever they could, and they would throw a little hut up, an arbor, little branches on the top of it. That way your watchman could stay under the shade, or if it rained, he would be out of the rain. Well, that was never meant to be permanent. So you wouldn't build it out of substantial material. And after the harvest, after you pick the grapes, you're done in the vineyard and everybody would leave. And there is that makeshift, temporary, fragile hut. And it starts to crumble and fall in. Nobody's out there. It's alone. It is deserted. It's crumbling. And God says, 
That's how your country and your lives look. You've thrown your lives together and you've disobeyed me to the point that you're a mess. And you look just like the hut in the vineyard. Well, they knew what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. There's two major messages in the opening chapter of the book of Isaiah. First of all is, hear, listen, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Listen, listen to who? In verse 4, it says, they have provoked the anger of the Holy One of Israel. Who are we listening to? Who are we summoned to court to face? The Holy One of Israel. It's interesting The term Holy One of Israel is used 30 times in the book of Isaiah. So the holiness of God is a major theme in the book of Isaiah. Do you know it's only used five more times in the Old Testament? Do you think that Isaiah has a theme here? The holiness of God. What's up with that? God's holiness demands judgment in the presence of sinful men. God's holiness deserves, demands judgment. And then in verse 18, come, let us reason together. There's another commandment. Come, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Come, let us reason together. Now, come follows hearing. And here's an important principle. You will never, ever respond to a message you are not willing to hear. We'll never, ever respond to a message we won't listen to. So if we won't listen in the first place, it is absolutely impossible we'll get our lives right until we're willing to listen. But after we're willing to listen, he says, come. And then he says this, another parable. He says, though your sins be as scarlet. What's the parable? Laundry. He's talking about laundry. Though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall be as wool. He's talking about stuff that stains. Nothing stains laundry worse than red stuff. Whether it be ketchup or Kool-Aid or blood or whatever or grape juice. And he says, we got a problem here. We've got a stain. Well, everybody knew what he was talking about because everybody had problems with laundry. He says, you've got a stain. A stain that can't be removed. That stain is sin. And though these sins have stained your life, he doesn't excuse it, he doesn't explain it, he doesn't say, oh, that's no big deal. He says, this is ugly. This is ugly like a stain. And he says, though this stain is there, come and I can clean them up. That's the message. Listen, hear the message, come to God and you can be cleaned thoroughly. This is why the book of Isaiah is important. One more passage to wrap it all up and tie it all together. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, maybe the Romans, since they weren't Jewish people, 
Some of them didn't, didn't have a Jewish background and they were, they were just wondering why it's important to look at the Bible, which at that time all they had was the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul anchors something down that we want to keep in mind as we look at the book of Isaiah. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What do we find when we take the time to look at the scriptures, to look at the Old Testament, to look at the book of Isaiah? Hope. These things were written that we might have hope. And I don't know a human alive on the planet that doesn't need hope. And that hope is not wishful thinking hope. It is confident expectation, rock solid peace in the midst of the storm hope. We all need that. As we prepare for an invitation of him, the book of Isaiah, God calls us into the court and says, I've got a message for you. Listen to the message. But then he says, come, let us reason together. I'm outlining the problem and I'm providing the solution. But he says, you must come. And this message gives us hope in very troubled times. If you don't know Christ, this is the time to accept Christ. Your sins have stained your soul. Those stains disqualify us from heaven. The Bible says over in the New Testament, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins and our souls can be white as snow. Maybe there's something in your life where you've been disobedient to God. I don't have to go down a checklist. You're already there. God says, come, let us reason together. Let's get this straight. You know, if your lives are not in tune with God's word, we know what needs to be done. This is the time in the place to make it right with God who stand and sing. What number?